This series is presented by Humankind Public Radio in association with the BTS Center, funding provided by the Henry Luce Foundation and the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation. If you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. This time, Connections That Heal. I find it curious in nursing that for such a deeply intimate profession and a deeply caring profession, we almost have an allergic reaction to using the word love. So a couple years ago in our school, I had that conversation with all the staff and faculty. Love so defines how we relate to patients and each other. I find it curious we never use the word in our school. What do you think about that? And after quite a pause and some discussion, it was a turning point for the school. We talk about love in our school all the time now. Connie Delaney is Dean of the School of Nursing at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. She's a leader of the movement to reinforce the role of nursing in today's complex healthcare setting in genuinely compassionate, patient-centered care. What fully changed my life uh, in terms of being drawn to nursing was the very first patient I ever met, which I remember in full detail uh, to this day, the connectedness to that patient, um, first day as a student nurse, ever being in contact with a patient and having such full uh, regard and acceptance by a patient who I was not only inexperienced as a nurse but a stranger. And such a gift to be welcomed so fully into a person's life and their family life. That was a defining moment. At the typical nursing station of today's hospitals, it can sometimes seem like high-tech medical machinery supersedes a personal connection with the nurse or other healthcare professional. But for Wanda Baker, a pediatric nurse and native Canadian who has worked in critical care and palliative care in Canada and the United States, that one-to-one relationship is the essence of providing care. When I was five years old, five and a half actually, I was hospitalized and um, was not expected. They actually didn't know how sick I was going to be. It was an unfortunate incident that occurred. And This was where? Uh, this was back in Nova Scotia. And I, at that time, families weren't with children 24 hours a day, as they can be today. There were specific visiting hours, and, and I, I was alone. I was in, I clearly remember the experience. I was in a crib, the only child in the room, and I could see out the window when the curtain was open into a hallway, and I could see people going by. And yet, not very many people came in to see me. I remember clearly a tray being brought in and set on an overbed table beside my side rails up crib with the dome over it. And that was my breakfast. They lifted the lid, and on it was a boiled egg, which I could not stand. <laughs> <laughs> and the smell of it, I, it just it really upset me. And I remember I sat in that crib and I sobbed. 
And the person who had brought the tray in left, and there was still nobody. There was still nobody. And this is, would have been early morning, probably 7 or 7.30. And finally, somebody came in and opened the curtain from the night, put the rail down, scooped me up, pulled a rocking chair over, and simply held me. Didn't try to put food in me. And I can remember at the time thinking, this is what I need. Mm. And I was held and rocked. And then I was washed. My hair was done. I had long hair. My hair was put in, in braids. I was cared for and I was loved. And I can remember that so clearly that that made all the difference. And when my mom came in, you know, I was so excited to see her. But I had also had something to bridge that time. Most people would rather not be admitted to a hospital. While there, they're often uncomfortable, their lives are disrupted, and in the face of medical uncertainties, they're sometimes afraid. Being present with patients as they go through suffering is an inevitable dimension of spiritual care in a medical setting. Connie Delaney. Bearing witness to the spiritual distress and pain for me is uh, through all of my senses, whether it's seeing and verbally or hearing and verbally recognizing that, being in, in, a, in a space of deep connectedness or oneness with the person and family. Sometimes it's crying, although in all of our education we're taught you don't cry with the patient. Do you regard that as an absolute? I think it's taught as an absolute, but in my practice, I have not practiced it as an absolute. There have been times, and uh, I know that most nurses could uh, share these experiences, the, the near-death experiences or actual death, and uh, when the patient's alert will look at you, and if they're still able to talk, will say it's a traumatic injury, and I've had this happen in ICU where the gentleman says, I'm dying, aren't I? Hemorrhaging. And, and I knew he was. And everyone had left his bedside because there wasn't any more medically that could be done. And uh, I had an immediate choice to tell the truth. And, um, and I said, I am here with you. I am here with you. And he knew and I knew that he was in the movement to um, pass. What a beautiful answer to that unbelievably challenging question. And I stayed. And I had eye contact. And I cried. Yeah. Because isn't that what we're all really yearning for? Just the opposite of abandonment. It's to not be, not to feel that the situation, the provider, family members, whatever, are abandoning you, that to feel some sense of connection. Isn't that the core of this? I believe that sense of connection is the deep core, or that deep intimacy, that deep sense of being together and a part of the whole, the oneness. I completely concur. The uh, thread that runs through 
all of our day-to-day, all of our decisions, is ultimately how connected we are. And the decisions that we make, the choices that Connie shared, that she chose to stay and to stay with him, would have been one that others maybe would have been uncomfortable with. Other nurses? Other nurses or other healthcare professionals may have stepped aside. I can relate to what you did, and I can relate to the crying. Certainly, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's better now than it used to be in terms of the concept of showing emotion uh, and you know, having your knuckles wrapped. Uh, I think now there's a, a much broader acceptance, particularly in some areas, critical care, palliative care, those are, and in pediatrics, those are, it's more of an open response, shall we say, so that people can indicate when they have been touched by showing it in a way that is recognizable. And tears are universal. <laughs> there's really no... You know, I, I worked for a number of years uh, facilitating bereaved parent groups. And in that, in that role, in that space, I learned so much about the connection between people. And I had already been learning. And what it told me, because I had by that point been years and years in pediatric critical care and then years in peds palliative care and and done all kinds of things and witnessed tremendous suffering and and pain and those types of, of experiences that there isn't there's not a reason why those happen. And my time with these parents was pivotal in helping me understand that the deepest connection between people and that the the bareness of your soul when an unthinkable thing happens, whether it's a death, whether it is something that has completely railroaded your life, it may be a personal health issue. The bottom line is the connection that you have with people is a connection that it seals the deal in terms of our oneness and the fact that we are bearing witness to one another, and if we are honest and open to that experience, that is where we all find our strength. We know that in our, in our relationship with patients and families and others, that uh, there is, people know when you're sharing part of yourself or you're staying within these boundaries. As compared to coming to the relationship and staying in the relationship as a whole person. As we've been hearing, connections are central to the spiritual care of medical patients, how they relate to the nurses and other care providers how they relate to themselves and loved ones in a time of medical distress. Many patients, especially at vulnerable moments, also reflect on their relationship to the transcendent, a higher power, however they might define that. In the spiritual care of patients by nurses, is there a role for nurses helping to elicit or deepen that connection? Connie Delaney. 
first, uh, for me, it's listening to their description of a relationship, if it exists, what it is, and supporting that. Do you inquire about that? Yes. Yes. And what, what do you ask? Um, uh, a common a common question would be, um, and is there is there a pastor or a priest or rabbi that you that you would want me to um, notify, or would you like to see? So that would be a common question. One thing one can do is hand off that relationship, if you will, to. Um, to uh, a priest, a rabbi, a pastor, another option is to stay and be a part of it, and um, and entering in the into the more the fullness of that relationship. As you can tell, I would stay with the relationship and be a part of it. So, being quiet, creating space, respecting and holding that space for that relationship to unfold, if it's going to. Obviously, not everyone is interested in this area uh, or would be comfortable venturing there with a nurse who they might not know very well. So I wonder how you approach entering that. Is it a matter of pacing? How do you kind of feel your way through whether, in fact, this is an area that the patient might not be interested in sharing or going to? Usually when you're present and you're listening, then you'll hear what it is that the person needs and whether or not they're interested in in sharing more with you. Wanda Baker. If they're interested in having somebody else join that conversation or somebody instead of you that they may be more comfortable with, I can honestly say that in all of my years, I have, I've never had somebody um, become angry about bringing something like that up or with me sitting with them and having the, the time and offering the presence for that to unfold. It's simply, I've actually had the opposite happen with people say, thank you for simply being here and not asking a lot of questions. Your presence has been more than comforting to me. And I think people's connection spirituality-wise with a higher power takes so many different forms. You know, some people, they may, they may identify a being. Other people, the higher power may actually be being in nature, being connected with the universe may not have the form of any kind of a, may not have a structure at all. Those individuals may actually say, no, I actually don't want a chaplain. I don't want a rabbi. I don't want, I don't want any of those people. What I need is my music. And so is the nurse kind of duty-bound to respond to that? I think we are, we are duty-bound as individuals, as people, to respect that and to honor that, yeah. We 
We're exploring the role of nursing in supporting the spiritual journeys of patients at a time when medical challenges can stimulate deep personal reflection. You're listening to the Spiritual Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to access additional episodes of this podcast along with other resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. In a healthcare encounter, there are always two perspectives, the strengths and limitations of the patient and the strengths and limitations of the provider. And for nurses, like all of us, one's own personal experience, beliefs, and unfinished business can figure in, especially amid the highly charged emotions that sometimes arise in medical settings. University of Minnesota Nursing School Dean Connie Delaney. I think it's absolutely essential that an individual assess their own spirituality and to the degree that that is fully open and full mindfulness as well as uh, an openness to knowing your own vulnerabilities, that, that in, I believe does determine your ability to engage with the other. So concretely, I'll go back to the, the example of having a patient tell me that uh, who was dying of cancer, and the conversation was, um, what activities or service or such might you want? Do you want to talk about that? And that led to this full conversation of, I just view, view that I'm a physical being. There's nothing. When, when I die, um, basically I disintegrate, and that's that. So with knowing my own limitations and needing to work through that, I could listen to it, I could respect it, and not understand it. And so how did you handle that? You know, I still am growing. It's a continuous, uh, I know that about myself. It might be the situation where it could easily be that I might not be the most, the best person to be that, that patient's nurse. Yeah. And being open and know that about myself. Self-awareness is key to all of this. Again, Wanda Baker. And self-awareness includes spiritual self-awareness. I would go so far as to say it actually is spiritual self-awareness. So could you define spiritual self-awareness in that sense? Again, it's, this is an evolving thing. I don't think it's a static I definition get the, I get the all. feeling we are all works we in progress at this table. We are all works <laughs> in progress. And so in terms of... Um, of spiritual awareness evolving over time, which for myself has certainly been the case, and tends to, there's almost a, uh, there are almost cycles in it where you go along and it's like you need to spend some time absorbing something that you have just, that, that's just unfolded, frankly. It's how I describe it. So I consider that I am very much, the, the visual I have is a fern. You know a fern that's curled up and in the spring, we, we call them fiddleheads um, in, in Nova Scotia. So, and it very slowly opens and you see all the little fronds begin to unfold. And I liken our, my spiritual development very much like that. That as, as the light 
comes on as the seasons move that I open and my seasons are, you know, my phases of life as I grow. There are different things that have perhaps forced a little bit more openness, sometimes maybe more than what I would have willingly taken on. I think that probably happens more often than not. The key for me is that I take the time to reflect and journal, meditate, be with myself and the unfolding of who I am. Do you share that with others or not necessarily? I sometimes share some things and other things I don't. And what I've noticed is that I will share things once they are once they are a little more deeply rooted inside and I start to have more of a sense about what they actually are and what that is revealing. While I'm discovering it in those early bits, it's almost like I don't want other people in there. Is it very personal? Almost like a fetus that needs yes. to be protected at that stage? That's a very good descriptor and you know goes back to that the, the very small little frond, the little fern. And I think that's a I think it's a really important part because it then reflects that it's me. It's who I am and how I am connected with the greater we. Because families are often intimately concerned with the health conditions of a patient, it can make sense to involve family members in the spiritual care of their loved one. On the other hand, some family members could interfere. So where are appropriate boundaries when a nurse or other provider interacts with their patient's family? Well, working in pediatrics, as I have, uh, those boundaries may seem even murkier. Often... Uh, you know, people don't even think of spirituality in children. and Because it, they are spiritual. Because they are spiritual. <laughs> and so it's one of those, it's, it's so obvious that people miss it. And I think in my work over the years with children, the, the message that I have received from them is that they are whole spiritual beings and family is extremely important but it doesn't define them. And there may be things that these children need, often are things that they need, that are separate from the needs of the family. And I think of one instance where a child who actually knew that he was dying and his, his family didn't want to leave him. And he actually didn't want to die while they were in the room. So he talked with people other than family and asked that we not share that. And, and do you think that the nurse should abide by that request? I do, yes. There's a wisdom there that I think we need to honor. We all have an inner voice we all have a connection with that. We are part and we are one. And when there is a sense and a wisdom that is presenting itself, I think there's much to be learned by honoring that and protecting that. Yeah. I, too, 
always put the patient first. Connie Delaney. So this is about um, having enough personal insight and full, full respect for another person to, frankly, not let professional knowledge trump what the patient's telling me. So in ICU, had a patient for several days, really precarious the first few days, making wonderful progress, getting up in a chair, actually was supposed to be transferred out of ICU, doing great. And he said to me at 9 in the morning, I'm going to die today. So my nurse response was, you're doing so good. Your cardiac rhythm is great. You're up in the chair. Your breathing's fine. And you know, today, you get to transfer out of ICU. He goes, no, I'm going to die today. And he did at 1.30. Wow. I think through a great deal of humility, I've learned the power of family members and their, their gifts of spirituality to the patient, to their family member. And it might be something... Um, certain caring, certain touch, certain uh, bringing something, uh, a symbol, things that I couldn't know, and being sensitive to and respectful of those of those behaviors or um, actions or presence that actually convey a deep spiritual support and intimacy. Um, I'm I'm always open to being aware because early on I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, and that certainly applies to children as well. Yes. You know, I I gave the example of where, you know, there are instances where children actually, you know, you you honor that that wish for there not to be as much involvement, but the vast majority of times families are there. They're essential, absolutely essential, and they have an intuitive knowing because they're connected. There's an energetic connection there that has been there right from the get-go, and these families provide an enormous amount of, of support and, and compassion and, and love, just incredible love. You walk in a room... With some of these children and families, you can feel it's palpable. You feel the love. You know, my my role right now, my job, my my love, my nursing practice right now, is looking after and being with children who are cared for at home. And in many instances, these children are cared for in a it's like a home based ICU. It is phenomenal. Most people walking in would say, uh, that closet has what in it? Or, you know, it's just, this, it's a very, it's ICU. And yet these families and, and their relationship with their child are incredibly non-ICU. It is completely love. It's play. They do everything that they can possibly do to honor the needs, the, the, the growth and development needs, which includes the spiritual needs of these children. And it's an honor to step into that environment 
and and you know you you see that in action right it's it's those are those are daily gifts that you get when you when you work in 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 this area they're just they're gifts that's it Wanda, when you share the story of being in the home, it's reminding me of a relationship that we haven't yet talked about, which is when the patient is the family member for a nurse. If I might just take a moment, my father knew that he was um, dying of cancer, and about three months before he actually uh, passed, he wanted a conversation with me in his home. And he said, Con, you're a nurse, and I know that you've been with a lot of people that have died, and I know I need to do it. So can you tell me how? How do you do this? What did you then respond? First, I knew that that was such a gift that a father would ask his daughter, who happened to be a nurse, and, I had, and then I knew I had to tell the truth. And he said, well, you know, Dad, I have been with a lot of people that have passed. And at the end of the day, this is what I know, that you will know when it's time. Connie Delaney, Dean of the School of Nursing at the University of Minnesota, along with Wanda Baker, a pediatric nurse for over 30 years, both recorded in Minneapolis. Care Podcast. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Doug Sugarts. Editorial assistance from Andrew Andresco, Kathy Graham, and Ken Rogers. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. The Spiritual Care Podcast is presented by Humankind Public Radio. To learn more and to access our other podcasts and related resources, please visit spiritualcarepodcast.org. That's spiritualcarepodcast.org. Thank you for listening.